deal with first things first, shall we? I was in a, I was in a way for the last couple of weeks and I injured myself. I would absolutely love to be able to say that I was in Telluride skiing on a black diamond hill and I hit a mogul and, and damaged my knee, but it's nothing like that. I was in Michigan writing, as some of you knew, and uh, about a week ago, and I, uh, I got up in the middle of the night, I had the flu, not the corona thing, I had the flu, and I, uh, I, I somehow fell, and I uh, hyperextended my knee and, uh, and, and damaged it pretty badly. I had an MRI on uh, just this last Friday night, and the doctor called me within a few hours and said, he has such a great sense of humor, my doctor. He said, uh, he said do you want me to give you the news as if you were a horse or a human? <laughs> he said, the horse would be bad. The human, we can deal with this. He, he said, the good news is you did not, I, we thought I just tore ligaments. He said, you really didn't. He said, you, you fractured your knee. And uh, so I, I fractured the bone here, about two and a half centimeters. It's, it's a non-displaced fracture, which means I probably won't need surgery, but I'll see a doctor this week. And the big thing, he said, you're just going to have to take all the weight off it. So we negotiated a cane for this weekend. The hardest thing for me today will be, and, and I realized this last night, I, just, I won't be able to stand uh, as I'm talking to you, and that's going to kill me. You all need to know that because I, I, you know, preachers tend to preach with our whole body, right? I mean, we, we communicate that way, and so it's going to be difficult for me, but it's, it's best if I just keep the weight off it, and, uh, and I'll keep you posted. I'm, I'm going to be just fine. You know, I, I spend so much time with you guys throughout the week, and, uh, and I say this quite often, and I really mean it. I mean, some people think it's trite, but I say every time something happens to me, if this is the worst thing that happens to me, I'm a blessed man. And I really mean that. And, uh, and some of you, many of you are dealing with much more serious things than this. And so uh, I would appreciate your prayers just because we are in our high season right now, super busy. And so it's not a great time for me. I'm, they told me I'll probably be on crutches as of uh, Tuesday. But uh, next week we have our men's ministry retreat, our men's retreat. We're taking a few hundred men up to the mountains. I'm the key speaker, and so obviously I'll still be going. And so just pray for us and, and for that. And if you're a man and have not signed up yet, uh, we'd love to have you come. We still have some room, and it's going to be a, a watershed time for us up there, and we'd love to, to have you join us. And then, uh, and then we, we're just starting a new series today on the Lord's Prayer. We just capped off our Love One series, as you guys know, and that was an incredible time. And uh, we're hoping and praying for a lot of fruit out of that. That was not a one-off. We're hoping that is we've kind of encouraged all of us to, to just love one person in our life that doesn't know Jesus. We're starting already to hear stories of people who are coming to the Lord, uh, people who are being engaged spiritually. So stay in with that. Watch the videos that we have online, which is a follow-up to that. We're going to keep it before you. But as I promised, we're going to start a series today, a five-week series on the Lord's Prayer. I'm embarrassed that in how many, 30 years of being a preacher, I've, I've never preached directly on the Lord's Prayer. So we're gonna spend five weeks on that today and, and you're gonna get a lot out of this series. You're really going to like it. So uh, no pun intended, let's pray right now and then we're gonna dive right in. We've got a lot of things to cover today. So Northridge Chapel and uh, Venue and Cactus, let's all bow. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. God, 
this is a fallen world and we all deal with lots of junk in this world, but we also realize how incredibly blessed we are. Blessed, number one, from the salvation we have in Jesus and the hope of eternal life, the power of the Holy Spirit right now. And then, Lord, certainly, in a country like ours, even with all the fears that we have, we're incredibly blessed, and we know that, and we thank you for that. So, God, I pray that as we open up your book now, specifically to the words of Jesus, that many of us are familiar with but have probably never done a deep dive in, that, God, you might be pleased and honored with what we're going to be looking at here and that you'd speak to us by the power of your Spirit through these words of Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start this series off right, and we're going to do something that many of us have done before, but we're going to probably do it every week in this series, and you've guessed it already. We are going to recite the Lord's Prayer. And so what I want you to do, I know you just sat down and got comfortable, but stand with me right now. And I'm going to stand kind of awkwardly, but stand. And uh, we're going to be reciting the Lord's Prayer together from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. There's also a truncated version of the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel. Most people are not familiar with it. You're familiar with Matthew's version, which is what we're going to stick with. And we're going to be using the New American Standard Bible for this series. Here's why. Is that many of us, if we've ever recited the Lord's Prayer, you almost surely did it in the King James right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how we learned it. The modern versions really mess it up, so we're going to avoid those. And the New American Standard isn't quite as King James-ish, but it retains a lot of that, so it's going to feel like the Lord's Prayer. Second thing we want to get out of the way before we recite it together is always the most awkward thing whenever you've said the Lord's Prayer in public, and that's the whole Protestant versus Catholic thing. When you get to, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we for, you know, which one do you use? And, and we're going to be using debts and debtors because that is the most accurate translation. An interesting story, the reason trespasses got in there is because William Tyndale in the 1300s, who was one of the first to come up with an English Bible, translated it trespasses, which is not the best translation. And then the Book of Common Prayer in the 1500s picked up on that. And once it was in the Book of Common Prayer, it was almost impossible to change. But we're going to do that. So we're going to do debtors, and uh, you're going to like it. So let's all breathe this prayer to God. Let's recite it together, the Lord's Prayer. Here we go. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You did great. Have a seat. That was awesome. Now, uh, before we launch into the first leg of this amazing prayer, I want us to notice, and this will set up the whole series, a couple of very important preliminary things about this prayer that have been quite misunderstood over the years that are going to allow us to have 
get the most out of it. And the first thing, probably the most important thing, and this is where many people misunderstand this prayer, is that this prayer is intended to be a pattern or a model on how to pray. And that's really important to understand. And the reason that we know this to be the case is because how Jesus sets up this prayer in the two verses before this prayer that we just read, listen and look at what he says. He says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they're going to be heard for using many words. No, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him, pray then in this way or fashion. So it's really important to note here that Jesus is saying, you know, I'm going to give you a prayer right now that you can pattern your prayer life after, but this isn't intended for you to just recite this over and over again in some sort of magical incantation. That's not what this is about. The, the Gentiles do that already, thinking that God's going to hear them. Don't use this prayer that way. This prayer is used as a pattern, a model for how you should pray, not necessarily something that you need to pray in a rote sort of way over and over and over again. And let me be clear as we understand that. It doesn't mean that you can't recite the Lord's Prayer like we just did, right? I mean, you can do that in public worship. I'm told that Alcoholics Anonymous does it at their regular meetings. Some of you might do it in your private prayer or driving down the road. That is absolutely legitimate. That's fine. It's just that we need to understand that's not the core intent of this prayer. This prayer was actually given to be a guide for our own type of praying. And once we get this, we're ready then to understand the second preliminary thing about the Lord's Prayer. And again, this is super important and this will guide us in our series. And that is that this prayer reveals no less than six key areas that our prayers should focus upon. This is really cool as we're gonna look deeply into the Lord's Prayer. That when you look closely at it, which we're going to do for the next five weeks, you're going to notice no less than six or seven key movements that Jesus walks us through on how to pray, and they neatly fall into two main categories that are really important. The first category is who God is, so we understand who it is we're praying to, and the second one is what we should be asking of him. I would argue two really important things for Americans today, even Christian Americans, who probably muddle our prayers quite often. Jesus is going to help straighten us out in this. So you're going to see in this prayer that it begins with our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. All of those things have to do with God. The prayer does not begin with you. <laughs> The prayer begins with an understanding of God, rightly centering us on God. And we're going to spend the first two weeks of this series, today and next week, uh, doing a deep dive in what does that mean for us? What do we need to understand about God in order to pray most effectively? Then notice that there's a second category, what we should be asking of God. And again, we tend to mess this up today. Jesus is going to say things like, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those who owed us something. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are the things that we're going to explore in the latter half of this series. What should we be asking of God? 
Simply see, because we're gonna accelerate right now, this is the pattern that Jesus sets for you and I on how to pray. And we're gonna follow that pattern in this series as you think about your own prayer life and what it is you're doing as you come to God. And I truly believe, gang, that this series could revolutionize alter the way that many of us interface with God and talk with him as we finally learn to pray in the way he wants us to. Now, with this understanding under our belt, we're ready to go deeper into the Lord's Prayer. So let's begin that right now. And I have one main point today, follow up by three sub-points here in understanding this very first verse of the Lord's Prayer. And here's our main point. It's gonna start us off really well in our praying It's the first thing that Jesus reveals to us on how to pray, and it's this, that the first step in prayer is to be clear between you, your heart, your mind, and God about who it is you're actually praying to. I know this sounds very simple, but it's a lot more profound and life-changing than many of us realize. The first step is to be clear about who it is that we're actually praying praying to. I want to tell you a story from my childhood that will bring this point home, and then we're going to look deeply at what Jesus says here. I've shared with you guys before that I grew up in the kind of home in which I had a, a rather sandpaper relationship with my dad. My dad has given me permission, he's 86 years old, to talk freely about it because we've worked through a lot of it, but as he would say, ever since I was three, we didn't get along very well. And part of it is my dad is a tough old guy. He was born in 34. His dad died when he was seven during World War II. Uh, He and Graham had to sell their car in California just to buy train tickets to get back to family in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, My dad had to basically work hard for everything he has. He had to get a scholarship to college and then law school. He's a self-made man. And as a result of all of that, I grew up in a home in which he was very tough and not very emotionally involved with his two boys, but he sure doted on the girl. And I hate my sister as a result of that after all these years. No, I love her. But he just was tough on the guys and, and, and not tough on, on, on Katie at all. And, and so uh, me being a middle child and sensitive was really hard for me. And yet what I probably haven't told you, but this will not be hard for some of you to understand, is that as I've matured over the years and as I processed a lot of my childhood, I also realized I wasn't the easiest kid to parents. I was very rebellious from an early day age, very angry, especially during my adolescent years. And as I look at that, I made things really difficult on mom and dad. I had an attitude, I was doing my own things, and that contributed a lot to it. I'll never forget one incident when I was in high school that was a game changer. It occurred before I became a Christian, but it was a a real moment in time for me. Uh, At that time, my grandmother had passed away and had handed down her old 65 Dodge to the three grandchildren, me, my sister, and my brother. My sister had gone to college already, and my brother didn't drive yet, so here I am driving this old 65 Dodge, and quite frankly, a day where nobody had their own car, so I was blessed to have that. And I remember one day my friends wanted to go to Columbus, Ohio, which is about three hours from Cleveland, and we wanted to go to party. Uh, We were going to tell our parents we were going to watch the Girls Volleyball State Championship, right? But they bought it, and so they were saying we could go to, to Columbus. 
And I was the only one that had a car, but my car couldn't make it that far. It was just an old Dodge and, and you didn't take it on the highway for three hours. And I'll never forget, my dad was reading in, in his study one day and I walked into his study and I said to him, hey, I'm going to Columbus this weekend with my buddies and I need a reliable car, so I need either yours or mom's. And he put his book down and he looked at me and, I, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, you would have a much better chance of getting what you need or want from me if you would ever learn how to approach me. And I remember looking at him kind of bewildered and said, what? And he said to me, well, why don't you begin by saying, hey, dad, because that is my name. And then say to me, hey, my car is not that great and I'm afraid it wouldn't make it all the way to Columbus. So do you think it would be okay if I might borrow your car if it wouldn't be too much trouble? And I remember looking at him and I knew he was right, but I didn't want to say anything remotely like that. But I did. I said, well, okay, hey, dad. Uh, and I did the litany and he kind of sighed and looked at me and said, yes, you can take my car and leave my presence. And I did. You know, that was the beginning of me realizing how I needed to start approaching people. And that if I wanted to get anywhere in life, and I would eventually learn this is true, as many of you have learned, with your wife, <laughs> with your boss, with your friends, with your coworkers, even with service providers and culture, anywhere, how you approach somebody makes all the difference. And if you approach somebody in the wrong way, there's a really good chance the conversation's not going to get off the ground. If you approach them this way, it very well might. And many of us have learned that already in life. But here's my point. Do you understand that it works the same way with God? You see, we don't think it does. But we honestly think that because he's God, we can come to him any way we well choose, and he's just gonna understand. The first thing Jesus tells us in this prayer here is that that is not necessarily true. Now think about this main point here, that the first step in prayer is to be clear about who it is you're coming to. Jesus wants us to realize that. He wants us to understand that how we come to God is going to make all the difference in the composition of conversation you're about ready to have with him. And I can tell by some of your looks, you're still going, well, I don't get this, what do you mean? I've been a connoisseur of prayer for the last 40 years since I've been a Christian. And again, I get the wonderful opportunity to pray with a lot of you, especially when you're in crisis. And I'm not gonna put any of you on the spot, but here are some of the prayers that I've noticed that Christians use over the years, unashamedly, thinking that we're doing just fine. Hey God, it's been a while, but I need something from you. <laughs> That's the way some of us start off our prayers. Or how about this one? Hey, God, I'm free-falling here. I need a little bit of help. I call that a parachute prayer. You're kind of free-falling and you, 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 you pull the ripcord of prayer and you expect God to answer you. This is my favorite. Hey, God, if you do this for me, then I promise and you can fill in the blanks, right? We try to cut a deal with God. Or how about this one? Again, I don't know why we say this, but hey, God, I know you're really busy, but as if somehow God doesn't have time for us. 
Or, or last one here, and again, I hear that. Actually, people pray this way. Hey, God, it's me, Jamie. I gotta ask you something. As if God doesn't know your name. Think of all the silly ways that we approach God, and, and I'll let you off the hook. I know that we mean well with these kind of prayers, but they all have something in common, and I'm not gonna be too brutal on you, but you need to hear this. Whenever we pray like that, two things are going on. First, do you notice it's all about you? Hey, God, it's me. Hey, God, I'm free-falling. Hey, God, I know it's been a while. Hey, God, like an adolescent coming to dad, and he doesn't understand how to interface with dad, so he says, hey, I need the car. Many of us come to God like that, and we don't think there's anything wrong with it. And again, God's gonna love you, and he forgives you, but he looks at you like my dad did when I was 16, and he says, you know, if you could learn how to come to me, you just might have a better conversation with me. And so Jesus teaches us here precisely how we're to approach God. Now listen very closely. We're going to look at three things that Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer here that are really important as we come to God. These are three things that God hopes you might say in some form, but more importantly, because we already established it's not about using the right words, meaningless repetition. More importantly, these are three things that God wants in your heart. Give me a head nod, y'all understand that. He, he wants you to have a mental understanding of who it is you're about to have a conversation with. He wants you to understand who he is and then having solidified these things in your heart. So if using the words of the Lord prayer does that for you, then do it. But I've cemented these things years ago and I do come to God this way, but I might not always say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But if that helps you, because that's the point of Jesus' prayer, that's the intent, is to cement these things in your mental arsenal when it comes to you having a conversation with God. So here's the first way that we need to recognize uh, the God that we are praying to. And that is that we need to understand that he is a personal and loving father. Man, if you don't hear anything else today, because you're gonna see in a second how this revolutionized people's lives 2,000 years ago. He is a personal and loving father. Uh, look at verse nine and how Jesus teaches us to pray. How does he begin? He says, pray then this way. Say the two words with me. Our father. Gosh, you gotta love that. Our father. Here's why that's so revolutionary. I can promise you that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus first said this, when he was sitting there talking to his disciples, this is during the Sermon on the Mount, so there's thousands of people listening. He, he's in Galilee there, and, and he says, hey, when you pray, pray our Father, there would have been an audible gasp among the crowd. You're going, why? Well, because most of them would have been Jews back then, because Jesus was Jewish and his initial crowd was Jewish. And here's what you, you can do. Scour the Old Testament and point out to me where it says we should call God Father. You won't find it. It's interesting. There's descriptions of God as Father in the Old Testament, but nowhere does it say, or very rarely, hey, by the way, just call him Father. Because that would be way too personal, way too intimate of an Old Testament understanding of God. As you guys know, if you've read the Old Testament, God is who? Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's Jehovah Jireh. There's all these names for God that denote his strength and majesty and his awesomeness. We'll get to that in a minute. 
But isn't it interesting that Jesus comes along and he says, by the way, when you start your prayer, call him Father. And by the way, only Jesus could introduce that concept, right? Because what Jesus came to do 2,000 years ago was to redeem us of our sin, to deal with that gap, that barrier that exists between us and God by dying on a cross to forgive us of our sin. And how did John put it? To all who believed in him, to those who trusted in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus actually paved the way for humanity to finally be able to say and call God Father, to have a closeness with him in, in which you can say in the Aramaic, we learned a few weeks ago that he is our Abba, our Papa. He's literally our dad. And again, I know how some of you think. You're thinking, well, of course we can call God our Father. I mean, Jesus did come to do that. I mean, you know, who or what else could he be? I want you to think of all the different conceptions that people, even Christians today, have of God. I, I hear them often. You know, one of the biggest conceptions is that most Christians have of God is he's an angry old man sitting on a throne in heaven with a big old staff in his hand, big old cane like this, ready to wallop people whenever they do something bad. There's actually entire churches, denominations, and preachers that preach that on a regular basis. And though I'll be the first one to tell you that God is a little bit upset with humanity at times and certain things that we do here on planet Earth, isn't it interesting that Jesus says that the first way you need to come to God is not as an angry old man like Zeus back in the Greek era, but come to him as a personal and loving father because that's what he is to you. Probably one of the most common conceptions today among God is among those who, who haven't believed in Jesus yet, so forget about the angry old man thing. Uh, this is common among academicians and New Agers is the fact that God is some sort of spiritual force, that God is a, a ground of being. We hear that a lot, that he's some sort of life energy. And, and, and so let's go up to Sedona, let's find vortexes, let's uh, go to ASU and become a deist, you know, and, and, and all these things. That's kind of the common conception of God today. And some of you have no idea how to have a conversation with somebody who believes that. Did you know that the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful way to have a conversation with somebody who believes that view of God? And here's why. Because if somebody believes that God is a life force or a life energy or, or, or ground of being, uh, ask them how personal that is to them. Ask them what kind of conversation you can have with a life force. Ask them what kind, and I don't mean that pejoratively, ask them what kind of conversation you can have with a ground of being. One of the things Jesus came to do is to show us that God is personal and that he's loving, that he's interested in having a conversation with you and that you can call him through faith in Jesus Father. And one of the things I love about what our world is teaching about God is that at the end of the day, they all know you can't have a conversation with a life force. Uh, look all you want at all those Star Wars movies, you know, with the forces with you. Nobody's having a conversation with the force. Jesus came along and said, God wants to have a conversation with you. And, and so call him Father. 
About eight years ago, many of you, or some of you might remember this, I, I enrolled in a doctoral program because uh, I wanted to get my doctorate. I had all the wrong motives. The reason I wanted to do it is because when I looked at that picture of me with all the previous senior pastors that's out in our, our foyer, I, I would go down the row and I'd, and I'd look at Dr. Borer, who was one of the founding pastors of our church, and then I'd move on to Dr. Babb, and then Dr. Sanuki, and see where I'm going with this, and then eventually Dr. Del Husay, and then Dr. Anderson, and then Jamie. And, and it just kind of bothered me, you know, that, that I was the only guy in the history of our church that didn't have a doctorate. And, and so I enrolled in a doctoral program and I went for it. I, I enrolled in a, a prestigious East Coast doctorate pro, doctoral program at Duke University and, and I got in and I was so excited and I flew out to Raleigh-Durham and, I, and I'm all excited to do this. And, and within two days, I've told this story before, but within two days, God clearly spoke to my spirit and, and basically said, what are you doing here? You have no reason to be here. It's all about your pride and ego. You got a church to run. Get back to Scottsdale and, and just accept the fact that your name is Jamie. And so that's what I did. <laughs> and I came back here and I'm so glad I did because I got nothing to prove. I love you guys. I know the Bible. All that stuff is true. And, uh, and, and, and while I was there, I had one moment in time. This can seem so small to you, but I'll never forget it. It, it changed me. And it had nothing to do with the doctoral program. It wasn't in a classroom setting. It was at dinner with the head of this program. This guy who headed up this program had his PhD from Oxford, a humble Ed, Ed Methodist man, and just, but he knew the Lord and he loved the Lord, just a wonderful guy. And he said to me as we were having dinner, do you mind if I pray? I said, well, we're both pastors, of course not. And, and I'll never forget how he prayed. He bowed his head and he said, gracious, merciful, heavenly Father, and then he thanked God for the food. Never heard anybody start their prayer. It, it makes me emotional just thinking about it that way. It was so tender. It was so powerful. Gracious, merciful, heavenly Father, we thank you for this food. And, and, and I was moved in my spirit. And I can still hear him saying it in, in my head. It was worth the price of a mission just for that. And here's what you need to understand. This guy named was Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill understood how Jesus wants us to approach God. He understood the Lord's prayer. He used his own language. He added some of his own words, but he understood how it is we're to come to God. And if nothing else, we need to start doing the same thing. The first thing we learn is that we need to come to God as our father. Now, there is more. Notice a, a second way Jesus tells us that we need to recognize and approach God. And, and this is huge for a lot of us. And many Christians miss this because it's only contained in two words in the Lord's Prayer. And that is that God wants us to understand him as a sovereign and reigning Lord. So he's not just your father, but he's your sovereign and reigning Lord. You're saying, where's that? Look, look at verse nine again. Jesus says, pray then in this way, our father, here it is, who is in heaven, who is in heaven. Now, you need to listen very close here because there are a couple of ways, if you didn't know the Bible very well, to take this phrase in heaven. Like, what does it mean when Jesus says that we're to pray, our Father who is in heaven? If you didn't know anything about what the Bible says about God being in heaven, here's the way most people would understand it. And I get to use my cane here, so let's get some mileage out of this thing. 
The way that many people would naturally take that phrase, our Father who is in heaven, would be to picture heaven way up here, which it probably is, even though I believe heaven is actually outside of space and time, but it's somewhere way up here. That's the word picture. And then where are we in light of heaven? We are way down here, right? So you think of heaven up here, us down here, God is in heaven, we are down here. Do you see what I'm doing with that? The feeling that most of us get when we think of God in heaven is one of distance, not one of closeness. So when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, we kind of do a drive-by on that heaven thing because that doesn't sound very good, right? I mean, why are we saying our God who is in heaven? We're just reminding ourselves he's really far away. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus actually means the opposite when he says that. You're saying, well, how's that? What Jesus means when he says, understand that our Father is in heaven, is that he reigns from heaven, he rules from heaven, he's in 100% control from a place called heaven, but he is constantly touching earth from heaven. It's the whole reason Jesus came. And what you do need to know is that the Old Testament set that concept up thousands of years earlier in the Hebrew understanding of the God who is in heaven. Look at Psalm chapter 103, verse 19. It makes this really clear. It says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty, which means his strength, his power rules, here it is, over all. So his sovereignty just doesn't rule in heaven, it rules everywhere. And to be sure that that's what's being said here, look at Isaiah 66 verse one, which by the way was then repeated in Acts chapter seven. So this verse appears both in the Old and New Testament. It says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, I love this, and the earth is my footstool. That's a great word picture, right? So he's basically saying, I'm up in heaven ruling and I'm sovereign, but I got a foot on earth all the time. Don't you guys worry. My sovereignty extends there. And we know that this is exactly what Jesus means here. And Kevin will cover this next week. I'm at the men's retreat. But when Kevin talks about what Jesus means when he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is making a tie between the two. So add all this up. This is really important. Our Father who is in heaven reveals that God rules from heaven. He reigns from heaven. He's in 100% control with power and majesty from heaven. But he's also touching earth earth all the time. He's got things here. He's in 100% control here. That's why Jesus would say, not a sparrow falls to the ground outside of the Father's will. Every hair on your head is numbered which for some of you doesn't take much math anymore, but just go with me on that. God is in that much control. As the book of Acts would say, even the boundaries of our habitation are controlled by him. He is sovereign and in control. And once we understand this, once we understand that this is how Jesus wants to come to us in prayer, not just seeing a loving and personal father, but a reigning and sovereign Lord of our life, here's the $10 question, and I do not want you to squirm out of this because you have to apply this to your life today. And here's the question I have for you. Do you truly believe that God is the sovereign and reigning Lord of your life? Do you? With all that you're going through right now, 
with all the craziness of this world and culture, do you deeply and truly believe that he is reigning from heaven, touching earth, 100% in control of things here, so much so that you can have peace and rest easy amidst all the chaos? Do you? We got a great test going on right now in our culture. Maybe it's just me, but has anybody heard of something called the coronavirus? Have you guys heard of that? You probably have, man. It's all over the news. Bill, I'm surprised you got on a plane. I mean, it's just all over the news today. And, and, and obviously, there's a tremendous amount of fear. I can remember a few weeks ago when they used the word pandemic, I cringed because I thought nobody sees that as a positive thing. I mean, nobody, that, that's a, a word that just connotes fear in, in, in everybody. And then you read about what's going on in Wuhan and then, you know, even what's happening here in the States and, and people saying, you know, not if, but when and, and all of that. And, and there's a lot of fear going on right now with the coronavirus. You need to know your church is uh, talking about this regularly. We had an elder meeting on Thursday night in which this was one of our topics. We have a team of doctors that we're consulting with uh, as a church. I mean, we, we have access to that here in Phoenix and should it become a, a serious problem here, that your church is going to be ready to respond. And we're going to be ready to respond with caring for those who would get sick. We're going to be ready to respond pastorally. We're even going to have a plan for how do we do corporate worship and, and, and best protect you and your children. I mean, you know, we're, we're working on that as a church. We're taking this seriously. But as I thought about it this week, in light of what Jesus is teaching us here, now let's apply this. Our Father who is in heaven, reigning as the Lord. I, I thought, what should be the first response of a right-thinking Christian, a right-praying Christian, when it comes to the coronavirus? Do you know what it is? The first response should be, God's got this. The, the first response should be, well, God is in control. Culture, for thousands of years, have had terrible diseases that have hit and, 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 and though it hasn't been pleasant, God has always been in control of this world and his people. I mean, it's core to our understanding of God. And again, I know how some of you think, by the way, I wish I could stand right now. I want to stand in the worst way. I'm going to do it just a little bit. Because <laughs> you got to look at me. <clears throat> I know how some of you think. You think like me. I mean, again, I, I'm preaching strong about this, but I, I'm a fear-based guy way too much of the time. Uh, my wife teases me all the time whenever I get sick, you know, because I mean, I didn't say this to you earlier, but when I got the flu in Michigan, I immediately thought it's coronavirus. I know it is. <laughs> and and, and I, I wouldn't even call my doctor because I knew he wouldn't even take my call over that. But I, I, I said to Kim, it's coronavirus. She goes, well, did you meet, meet anybody from Asia? Did you, you know, were you, were you in China, you know? And I go, no, but I know I'd be the only one. I'd be the only one. And so... <laughs> I, I, I am your typical male hypochondriac, all that stuff, and I, and I get fearful. <clears throat> and, and, you know, as, I, as I've thought about this, I, I thought to myself, because my heart's beat fast when I think about the possibilities, I, I, I think to myself, shame on you, Jamie. God wants you to understand that he's in control. And again, I know how some of you think. You think like I do. You think, but yeah, but what if we do get it? And, and what if I get it? And what if I'm one of those 2% that dies? Would it surprise you the Bible has an answer to that? The Bible says that if actually the worst case scenario were to happen, and, and, and Tom, I'll pick on you, you would be one of those ones that, that would actually, you know, your body would stop working. You know what the Bible says would happen? 
God would say to you, welcome home. As Randy Alcorn would say in his novel, God would say to you, let me bring you safely home. Or as Paul the Apostle would say, you gotta love this one, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> and again, now might be a good time for us to think like that. More importantly, now might be a time for us to think our Father who is in heaven, ruling over the affairs of the earth. I, you know, here's the problem, and I, and I love you guys, but, but one of the things we've all noticed, and I, and, I, and I don't know why, I think I have a psychological theory about why, but, but Christians tend to be very reactionary and even fear-based. But we're intense people. We're afraid of culture. We're afraid of Satan and all these things. So there's reasons why we're that way. But, but one of my fears is that if this coronavirus thing were to, to come on strong here, we'd almost be the ones panicking and leading the way. And yet Jesus say, basically says for us, it's the opposite. You remember what he said to the disciples when they panicked? Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> fear not, because fear is the opposite of faith. And so might this be a time for us to prove our muster when it comes to what we preach and to remind culture around us, our Father who is in heaven. And then one final thing, because we're running fast out of time. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's Jesus getting at there? This is so amazing. Basically, Jesus is saying is that when you pray, realize that you're praying to an absolutely holy God. Wow, an absolutely holy God. So he's a personal and loving father. He's a sovereign and reigning Lord. But don't ever forget, he's God. That word hallowed has really confused people over the years. And it really almost is a awkward translation, right? This will forever settle it for you. Real last quick biblical lesson today. Uh, it's simply the verb form of the noun holy, so, you know, the word holy appears all the time in the Bible. And, and hallowed, I don't know why we call it that way, is simply the noun form or the verb form of the noun for holy. And, and, and when it says holy is your, or hallowed be your name, a name in the Bible, especially a name for God, denotes his character or his personhood. And so honestly, here would be the best translation of this. Our Father who is in heaven, holiness is your character. Holiness is your personhood. And here's what's so cool about this, and I don't have time to explain it long, but you're gonna like this. Jesus is building an attention here as you approach God that he wants you to feel. Do you feel the tension already? And the tension is this. He's a really loving and personal father who wants to have a conversation with you. He's got this. He's totally sovereign and 100% in control. And don't ever forget, he's God for crying out loud. And he's completely different from you. He's 100% moral. He's 100% righteousness. There's no darkness at all in his character. And you know people that have actually seen God in the Bible, you know, like, like Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus or Isaiah in the temple. You know, it's so funny. You know, we, we think, well, if I ever see God, I'm gonna ask him this question. They didn't do that. Did you ever notice that? Like, <laughs> when they saw God, what did they do? They fell on their face. And like Isaiah said, I'm a ruined man because I'm in the presence of the holiness of God. That would be our response as well, amen? And Jesus wants you to feel that tension right now. He wants you to feel that when you come to God, you're gonna love this, he ain't coming to your cosmic buddy. 
You're not coming to God saying, give me a high five, God. I want to talk to you. That's not how we approach God. We approach him as a loving, personal, heavenly father who wants to have a conversation with you. As a sovereign Lord who's going to answer you and deal adequately with your needs. But don't ever forget, there should be an aspect of awe in our understanding of him. Even a little bit of fear in coming to God because he's so different and holy than anything we could be. And one last thought on that, we're gonna wrap this up. You want him to be that way. You really do. In a world of decadence, sin, evil, unrighteousness, all the goofy things going on in our world, isn't it nice that there's somebody who's absolutely moral? And there's somebody, nice that there's somebody who has no hypocrisy in him whatsoever? See, that's God. And your soul wants Somebody like that that you can lean on, even though it produces a bit of awe. It's a beautiful way to come to God. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, Cactus and Northridge and, and Venue and Chapel, let's all do this together. We're gonna close our service in, in an unusual way, but a, a way that's gonna send you out with a bang. Stand with me right now. And uh, we're gonna say one last time, the Lord's Prayer as a close to our, our service. And, and again, we're probably gonna say the Lord's Prayer a lot in this, in, in, in this five weeks. We haven't planned it yet. But, but, but let's end our time by saying the Lord's Prayer. And this time, as you say these words to God, uh, please understand that first line in a new way. And let's say it in a heartfelt way in which we understand who it is and what it is we are praying. So here we go. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.